0: And don't worry, we keep it short most of the time.
1: Are you looking to be more informed about what's going on in your community? The Herald has a special digital subscription offer for new generation podcast listeners.
0: You could sign up for a one-month trial for $0.99, then only $18.99 a month after that.
1: With a digital subscription, you get web-exclusive content, including pictures and videos, obituaries, and a searchable archive going back to 2013.
0: You can read the Herald on the web, your mobile phone, and on our Herald app. So you can get all the Herald content and the print paper delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer.
1: Again, that's just 99 cents for your first month.
0: So you can go to www.sharonherald.com podoffer today for this special offer. Again, that's sharonherald.com slash podoffer. Hello everyone and welcome back to the New Generation podcast. I am one of your hosts, Tanner Mondock.
1: And I'm your other host, Janae Avery.
0: And we are back for part two of our opioid epidemic series. Of course, part one, we had Mercer County Coroner John Libinotti on to kind of just give an overview of the situation. Um, We talked a little bit nationally, talked a little bit locally. But on this episode, we have a um, very special guest coming here. uh, Sitting across from me in the studio, we have Brittany Keller who is currently in the recovery process from uh, opiate and fentanyl addiction. So we definitely appreciate you know you coming on the show, talking to us about your story and everything. and um, so yeah, how are you doing?
2: Oh today I'm doing good.
0: That's good. Yeah, well, well hey, we're looking forward to talking to you and just story and everything and what you're going through in the recovery process so we're gonna get into all of that after we take a brief break to uh, run our ads real quick. <laughs>
1: Ben Visit Chevrolet is Mercer County's truck headquarters.
0: Quality new Chevrolets and outstanding pre-owned vehicles plus an excellent service department to stand behind your vehicle purchase located on Route 19 just south of Mercer.
1: Stop in or call Ben Visit Chevrolet today at 724-662-5440.
0: At Sharon Regional Medical Center, they believe in the power of people to create great care.
1: Their dedicated employees work hard every day to make Sharon Regional Medical Center a place of healing, caring, and connection for patients and families in the community we call home.
0: For more information, go to SharonRegionalMedical.org.
1: First National Bank provides a full range of commercial banking, consumer banking, and wealth management services, plus industry-leading online and mobile banking solutions. Call your local FNB or go online at fnb-online.com.
0: At Chenango Valley Meat and Poultry, you will find an excellent selection of steaks, burgers, chicken wings, and everything that goes along with it.
1: Voted Best of the Best in 2021 by Herald Readers. Stop in at 1215 East State Street and Sharon or call 724-346-6328 today.
0: Located in Mercer County, UPMC Horizon offers a range of services and medical specialties at two campuses in Ferrell and Greenville. Together with UPMC Jamison in Lawrence County, UPMC Horizon provides a regionalized approach to healthcare. If you need care, go to UPMC Horizon or upmc.com.
1: And like we said, we are back in the studio with Brittany Keller. I know when I personally spoke with Brittany, we had a connection because she knows many people who've actually passed away this year from drug overdose. And I thought that going into this episode, it would be appropriate to just have a moment of silence for all the lives that we've lost, not only this year, but just in the past from drug overdoses in this area. So before we get into the interview, we're just going to take a moment of silence. All right. And like Tanner said, thank you so much, Brittany, for coming into the studio today. We greatly appreciate you coming on and talking so openly and candidly about your story. So for the listeners who do not know you, maybe just talk a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, um, I'm Brittany Keller. I am. I'm from Sharon. I was born in Sharon kind of moved around a lot growing up. Um, I'm 31 years old now. And my addiction to opiates really started about a year after my brother passed away in 2013 everybody who is from the area knows that um, my brother was in a car accident he did end up passing away due to the injuries that he sustained in that accident and um prior to that I drank a lot but I didn't really feel as though I had a drinking problem I think like now I'm learning more about like just substance abuse and addiction. I probably did have some type of substance abuse when it came to um, alcohol, but I never really lost anything with alcohol like I did when I started actually using drugs. So at that point, I was about 24 years old when I did start taking um, Percocet and Vicodin. Um, Prior to that, everybody else was doing it around me. It was just something that I didn't get into I was more of the drinker. Everybody else started getting into that and I just wasn't really with it. But um, somewhere down the line, I ended up doing it and liking the feeling that I got from it. Like just the, the buzz that I got from the opiates and mixing it with alcohol was a really nice buzz. So it really was just pills from like July of 2014 all the way up until um, February, 2017 when I started experimenting with fentanyl and it just kind of took off. It went downhill at the same time from there. So,
0: so it all started kind of as a coping mechanism. Then,
2: Yes. Hmm. Yes. Correct. I just, what a lot of people don't realize is that people who have um, any type of addiction, whether it be a shopping addiction, a sex addiction Um, You know, sadly, an addiction is an addiction is an addiction. A drug is a drug is a drug. Everybody has their vices. I feel like um, drug addicts are looked down upon. Just like if you compare a drug addict to an alcoholic, um, alcohol is more socially acceptable. It's everywhere, you know. Um, But there are people who I've met just in treatment who have alcohol is very detrimental just as well as, you know, a drug habit could be. Um, But initially, they really all, like any addiction, usually starts from some type of void you're trying to fill. And mine was just um, different pains that I've experienced in life. And then when my brother did pass away, it was, it took a lot out of me. And I was trying to do whatever I could to numb the feelings that I was, experiencing on a consistent basis that I didn't know how to deal with that I ended up feeling like I was dealing with better high mm. if that makes sense um when in actuality like now I know I wasn't dealing with them at all I was just stuffing them right you know
1: and when did you come to the realization to you were like, "Wow, okay, maybe I'm going downhill, and this is where I need to maybe seek help."
2: <laughs> I, at first, I just kind of was doing and still maintaining like everything that had to be done in my everyday life. Like I still had to work, I still had to um, take care of my daughter. Um, I ended up having I had my first daughter in 2016, and. The crazy thing is when I did find out I was pregnant that's right when my pill addiction really picked up like right around the time I um found out that I was pregnant. And you know um opiate use while pregnant is is definitely f- frowned upon. But um it's more than frowned upon. It's, it's it's really bad. It's 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 giving your kids drugs knowing that if they were physically sitting there with you, that's something that you would never do. But your body goes through these different stages when it comes to the withdrawal and being pregnant, it's way worse. It's almost like it's doubled. And even even then, like, I'm going to just be just real and raw with it, like any addict who I've came across, that that's why we can understand each other just because of the the honesty and the rawness that comes with addiction, even that didn't stop me Mm -hmm. from getting high. Um, It's not that I didn't care, it was just that I really wasn't educated, as intellectual as I am, I wasn't really educated on how badly it could hurt a fetus. Um, I didn't realize that until she was born And she went through like the withdrawal process and had to spend some time in the um in the hospital and then uh in 2019 when i had my second daughter i just i don't want to say i didn't learn from my mistakes or that i didn't care at that point i was definitely doing fentanyl and when I came to the point where I was like, you know what, I can't keep using while I'm pregnant, I actually went into labor. So, um, withdrawal put me into like a full-fledged labor and I have my second child at home. Mm. And it, w- it was just that conscious decision, like I do not want to see another child of mine go through the withdrawal process, so I'm just gonna stop. And it, I tried to stop like cold turkey. No help, which was probably my hugest mistake. But um, I probably I hadn't had anything for a while, and then like when the withdrawal symptoms get worse over like a few days. So, eventually, I ended up going into labor, and I delivered her myself, and um, she spent a little bit of time in the hospital. I think she might have spent a couple of weeks. My first daughter spent about 3 weeks in the hospital. But I had a um very personal incident happen because the people I surrounded myself with um they they were users and with that comes um having things around and there was an incident that happened that took place with my second daughter and she was harmed in the process. Um, I was sleeping and, and trying to like recoup from being up all night with her and I let someone watch her and she ended up getting into something and she overdosed. Hmm. Um, it was very traumatic like it was it was a very traumatic experience very personal um a lot of people around here that was something that i was like oh my god i hope they don't put that in a paper or anything like that but now like where i am in my recovery it's it plays a huge part in my success right now with recovery like never wanting to put any of my kids in that type of situation again and it never was one of those situations where somebody just deliberately was like, okay, here, let me give her drugs. It was one of those situations where um, I'm like, even to this day, I don't know if maybe like a baggie was left or something, but um, I, was, I was also like informed that she just kind of touched something that was able to go through her pores and um, she overdosed. And at that point it was just like, I can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was a battle there because I I didn't realize then that I was setting up reservations. Like if this doesn't work out, then I could still go back to this. Or then I started that addict thinking, like I can rationalize things. I can portion things out. I don't have to, well, I'll stop doing it for a little bit. And then when I start, it won't be as bad. Knowing that every time you go back, it gets worse. Um, So in December of 2020, I decided that um, this was maybe a few months after everything happened with my second daughter. And I decided, like, I'm I'm going to rehab. Like, I, I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better daughter, a better sister, just a better person in general. Not that, um, I kind of thought that the good qualities about myself was just long gone with my addiction. But they really weren't. They were still there. Just wasn't really putting them to use. I didn't really have a need to put them to use. Um, I remember looking at my daughter one day and her just being like, you know, like, Mommy, I I just love you so much and I'm going to be just like you when I get big. And it was like, it was definitely a turning point in my life in that moment because what was unbeknownst to my child was that the way I was living was a way I would have never, I would never want my child to have any form of addiction. I remember like, I used to always say like, when I have kids, I want them to experience everything. I want them to experience heartbreak. I want them to experience that fake friend that, you know, like just so that they would be able to learn from it and grow as individuals. You know, like sometimes you have to stumble to be able to get back up and be stronger. Um, and there might have been a time where I might have said that I wouldn't mind them experiencing with alcohol or weed or something like that. But I don't want that for my children because one thing that I've realized is addiction can grab a hold of you and never let go. Some people don't make it out. Um, and we see that every day, a lot lately. A lot of people are dying. this It's not any, you can't beat it. <laughs> like you, you could sit back and be like, um, you know, like, well, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just keep getting high successfully. There's no, there's no success in it. You can't beat it. It's going to destroy you. It's going to take everything that you care about. It's going to take you from you. It's going to put you in a position to battle yourself on a consistent basis. Do I stop or do I not stop? And then. It's going to put you in a predicament where you begin to do things that you swore you would have never did. You all morals and values are out the window, and with that shame and guilt that comes with things that you never expected to do, is another reason to continue using. So it's just a, it's a very, it's very progressive it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and when i did make it to um, rehab in december i found out that i was pregnant and i made a vow right then and there that from that moment forward up until the day i died i would live my life in a way that i want my children to be better than me but If my children ever said I aspire to be like my mother, that would not be a bad thing. It would not be something that they grew to regret because I'm doing what I have to do in life for that to be an okay statement to be made. I know I used to always say, like, I I wanted to be like my mother. And my mother is my superhero. She's actually one of my hugest supports. My mom has 25 years clean. And, um... Despite her drug addiction at 30 years old, I can say I only hope to be half the woman that she is by the time I die. So I I would be okay with where I'm at right now in life if my children was like, you know, I wouldn't be like my mom. Whereas before, I didn't want them to be anything like me. Um, I did go to rehab, and I managed to stay clean for what would happen about four months or something like that and um, there was a lot of deaths very close deaths to me in March of 2021 and once again we go back to my original like devastation my brother's passing and not knowing how to deal with death like not knowing what to do with those feelings not knowing how to process them So one week and I decided like, I'm going to go grab a 20 and I ended up relapsing then. And I immediately did and spoke to the necessary people. Basically, I told them myself and um, I went into treatment. And as of today, December 16th, I have eight months clean. And and it's just it's just a beautiful things like they they speak about the rewards that come with doing the next right thing every single day and just living and just for today and just not picking up for today. It's very feasible. It's very possible. And it's it's amazing when you start seeing the rewards and be, like just getting to know yourself better and love yourself more. And when I say you love yourself more, you really do because you understand the lows that you really put yourself in to actually still be able to stand up firm and be like, and I made it through that. So I don't know, like right now I'm really grateful for my recovery. I have all intentions on speaking out like in any way possible. I used to be like, You know, like that incident that happened with my daughter, I was, that was something I was like, if I could take that to the grave, I definitely would because I just didn't play any part in it. And like, you know, to wake up to something like that and trying to give like your own child CPR, that's any parent's biggest fear is to lose their child, but to lose it to something that I was involved in, you know, on that type of level, it. It, I think that was just God's way of being like, you got to get it together because this is what you surround yourself with. And it didn't immediately wake me up. And I I can't really say that I'm regretful of that because there was so many things that I learned since that moment up until now that I feel like I had to go through to really be able to prevail and thrive in my recovery right now. Like, um, And I'm okay with that. My daughters are all big and beautiful. they have no health issues. They are perfectly healthy little girls and and I'm grateful for that
0: and what's like your relationship like with them? you know have they been like aware of your recovery process were they how aware were they of you know
2: um well right now i'm i have a um a five year old and a two year old and my the baby is three months um uh, my five my two year old I don't think she really knows what's going on they were um After everything did happen, they were placed with my mom in kinship care. I just recently got them back on December 7th. So that was a huge thing. That was my biggest thing, was to get my kids out of my mom's physical, like get their physical custody away from her because that's really what it was. They were in in her physical custody. And I now have full custody of my children. I don't have to deal with any of that anymore. My five-year-old really... Um, of course I'm going to have that talk with her one day, like this is drugs and this is what it could do to you. And this is actually how drugs affected your life when you were younger, whether you remember it or not. Um, I don't think she so much knows She doesn't know what drugs are, but I do believe that she can see the difference in me. You know, like, she's a smart, she's a smart little girl. She knows the difference in me. Like, those days that, being that I didn't have anything or, like, didn't have, like, the drugs that day or something. And I might have been very irritable that day. Um or like not as talkative and very like lethargic, really tired, really fatigued. And it it physically makes you sick. Like um, fentanyl and opiate addiction, it's really the withdrawal is a physical withdrawal. Like you feel it. And I'm pretty sure that she remembers those days. And I just know that now when I look at her and she's like, mommy, I'm so happy that you're like this. I don't know what like this is, but I mm-hmm. I think it means something. So, you know, and it just it just means a lot to me. It means it means a lot to me because I've always I've always known what I was capable of doing and becoming as an individual like all my life. Um but instead of I don't know, like me experiencing and experimenting with drugs, I put myself in a position to do all that I could to live life. And that, the same thing that made me feel like I was living life was putting me in a position to lose my life on any given day. And the irony in it is crazy. Um, So now I just kinda, just live by this little model that I made up, like, you know, live a life that manifests your dreams and not your nightmares. mm mm-hmm. I My life was a living nightmare every single day. Like, even on those days that were good days, they weren't good days because I've always known that that's not where I really wanted to be in life. I wanted to be doing better just as an individual. So looking back, like, none of it was ever good. I was just stuck there, you know, um, The devil has a way of getting you to do what he wants you to do. And in my case, I was introduced to something that just made me feel good. That made me feel like I could conquer any hardship or any task that I had to get done throughout the day as long as I had that. You know, so it's like the devil wanted to dance, and to get my attention, he always was able to play my favorite tune, and I would dance. I don't listen to that music anymore. So just
0: mm-hmm. where am I? And so, you know, you mentioned that uh, that you're now you're, you're back with your kids, mm-hmm. eight months clean. You know, what do you like doing with your kids? You know, like, what are some activities <laughs> you're enjoying with them? And
2: um, I like to do everything with them. I, I literally do everything with them. Like, they sleep in the bed with me, which I got to stop. <laughs> um but we do we do a lot of arts and crafts, and um they love to paint they love to paint everything it it turns into where I'll get like canvases or like different like shaped wood blocks and we're supposed to paint the wood blocks somewhere down the line I end up getting painted, the baby gets painted. So <laughs> they love painting and like we do that. They like, um, my five-year-old loves TikTok. She has my mm. two-year-old like obsessed with it and she TikTok, TikTok, I want TikTok. So they try to get me to do the little stuff that they see on TikTok. And um, amazingly enough, my five-year-old likes to clean. So like anytime I clean, she has this thing where mommy, I want to help you. So we do like, (laughs) we clean a lot together and we just, we just enjoy each other's time. Like every single day I make it a point to watch some type of movie with them that I get everybody's attention in the house. And that's just like my way of bonding with them. And Mm -hmm. a couple of times throughout the week, I make sure I do some type of arts and crafts with them just to already put that hobby into their mind like right now one of the things that i had struggled with in my recovery was you have to it's a process learning yourself over again and learning what hobbies you like and what hobbies you don't like i figure if i start introducing these things to them different things to them now early in life they'll have several things to choose from so if there's ever a point in her life where they need to escape from something, they have several things to choose from that they like to do that brings them some type of healthy euphoria. Mm-hmm. So anything that I can think of that we can do that's fun, like whether I go and like buy little like bowling pin sets and like have a little bowling night, like just anything. I have like millions of gel pens and color and books i use them more than them but that's not anybody's business mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know like we just do a lot i read to them um i'm just happy to be with them yeah you know every day yeah all yeah. day it sounds like you're making the most <laughs>
0: of it and just having a lot of fun with them yeah no that's awesome
2: yeah those are you know I've i've met people who would never get their kids back
0: right um
2: at this point, all I could say is that I was just blessed to have only went to rehab twice and really learn something and really just be done with it because they don't give you long to get your kids back. And luckily, I, I did what I had to do and woke up. You know, like I spoke about my dreams being a nightmare. I lived in that nightmare. I was asleep. You know, like, I'm awoke now. Like, it took for me to actually have to wake up and be like, I can't keep living like this because I can't live without my kids. Like, it it was like, I really couldn't live without my kids. I was around them consistently all the time. Like, the thought of my mom having to raise my kids when she already raised her children. And she did a very good job at it, despite her hardships. Um, She's a grandmother She's supposed to be enjoying her grandkids Not raising them And it just wasn't fair to her And I know how much my kids love me I, I just Couldn't bring myself to disappoint them mm-hmm. Because right now They might not be able to understand But years from now How am I going to answer them and tell them What well, drugs was more important than you guys Because they, they weren't You know like there was so many times People would be like Especially my mom. She's always been like the hardest on me. Like, you know, like, what well, do you care about drugs more than your kids? And I'm like, no. And she would like, well, act like it. And I used to get so mad at her. Like, how you going to tell me I don't care about my kids? But when I think about what I was doing, um, I wasn't one of those addicts that ran the streets. I wasn't one of those ones that stayed out all night. I was one of those I would leave. I would go get my stuff. I would come right back home because I had kids. And I felt like that made me a good mom that made me better than the addict that's out there that don't have their kids. When I kind of wish I would like when my mom used to want to step in and just get them until I got it together so that they wouldn't have been subjected to anything. I kind of wish I would have. I can't take that back, but I just, even then, I always wanted to be able to be with my kids. I just couldn't see my life without them. Those Mm -hmm. are my babies, and... And then to have another baby that comes along and she didn't have anything to do with CYS and I had her. She deserved to know her sisters. She deserved to be able to live in a house with her sisters. My children deserved to not ever have to be like, well, why did mommy want her and not us? Because that was never the case. I had to fight. You know, it's, it's, it's a totally different battle when you're fighting like a physical person in front of you. When you start battling yourself, it's a battle that it's un it's unimaginable, but you can defeat the bad you. It's gonna be your most treacherous opponent, yourself, but you can win. You just gotta your way of thinking. You gotta really be like, Whoop, well, do I wanna live like this forever? Or do I wanna live like this forever? Mm. Like am I gonna go with my heart here or am I gonna go with my mind here? You it's a choice. There, life is all about choices. If you make the right choices, I believe we could live a good life.
1: From the outside looking in, many people don't understand addiction. Mm-hmm. So, for families or people who may know someone who's struggling with addiction, how can you tell them to maybe try to relate to someone who is trying to go through the recovery process or? Maybe it's not even there just yet, but, you know, just shedding light on the situation and trying to help.
2: You know, I would tell people to take a look at themselves. Just take a really good look at yourself and think about the thing that you like to do that is unhealthy for you. Whether it be that you like to stay in a relationship that's not healthy for you. Whether you go and you gamble all your rent money whether you go and you shop all day long or, you know, something as simple as you got a bad attitude, um, that's a vice. That's, That's a habit that you have that is unhealthy to you and it affects the people around you. Just because drugs are involved here does not make what they're doing anything less detrimental to their lives than what you're doing and just like you will want someone to relate to you about because we all know we're doing something that's not good for us and we know that when we want to change it it's a struggle i would tell people that just like they would want somebody to relate to them in their struggle with whatever it is in their life they're having a difficult time not doing any longer just imagine that a hundred times worse you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and decides I'm going to be a drug addict today for the rest of my life. Nobody. There's, there's not going to be any drug addict that you meet that has thought like that. Um, I would tell them that they should take the time and listen to them and talk to them. A lot of people that use are trying to Mass some type of pain from some type of trauma that they have experienced and then in that point, it's a mental health thing that you have to also bring into play with this and then once you start shunning them and pushing them away, that gives them more reasons to want to use because the people that they love don't seem to love them anymore and it's just more pain that they have to figure out what to do with. And they don't have anybody to turn to. Um, Strength comes in numbers. You know, like there's a saying in NA and AA that as long as the ties that bind us together are stronger than those that tear us apart, all will be well. That speaks volumes. It speaks volumes in regards to your support system. As long as an addict has somebody that supports them and believes in them in them days that they just don't believe in themselves or don't see any light at the end of a tunnel it makes a huge difference that's why na and aa is such a huge thing because they're that's considered a support and a lot of the times me we like the support from outside forces but it's those people that's been around all of our lives that we know we really don't want to disappoint, but we just don't know how to get from where we're at, you know, like who we really want to be there for us or who say they love us, but are just stuck in this thing where I'm just going to show you tough love because you're not doing what I want you to do. Well, they're not doing what they want to do either. It's, you know, addiction is really a disease. There's no, it's something that's so much more powerful than us. We have no control anymore. You know, like our lives become unmanageable. We have, there's no control anymore. That we're dealing with something that's more powerful and baffling and cunning than anybody can imagine. And all we want is help. You know, a lot of the times a drug addiction in itself is a cry out for help. So when you got somebody that you love that's out there struggling with addiction I would say check up on them, ask them how they're doing, because another thing that's going on is people are putting themselves in a position to not be involved in their family members or friends' life who have these addictions, and then they die. And you're left to grief. Grief is already a, a, a tedious and overwhelming process in itself. It has five different stages, for God's sakes. You know, um, imagine when you put guilt into those five stages because of what you didn't do, because of how you felt about somebody's lifestyle that you know you cared about, because you didn't want to watch them self-destruct. So you chose just to sit back and be like, you know, or you chose to be angry with them or disappointed we feel enough of that ourselves on a daily basis. You know we don't need it from anybody else. All we really want is support and for those people that tell us they love us to not be embarrassed by us, to not be like, "I'm not calling you because you know, I don't like to use a term, but because you're a crackhead or because you're a dope head, you know like they you so I don't want to talk to you that's not good that That's just added things to the trauma that we already are trying to figure out how to deal with and the only thing that has made us feel like we feel better is these drugs so that would be that would be what I would say to people you know like don't help help you know you get a lot of people in this area that you know when people pass away and I see it all the time and you know like on Facebook or anything and they oh well like pray for them and but these are the same people that you might see make statuses laughing about people that have drug addictions. Or, you know, it's funny to them. Or, oh, did you see this person? They be walking around looking like this. And then when they die, it's something totally different. Um, you can't be like that towards people. Because just like those people is living their truth out loud. Everybody else can see it. What you're doing is somewhere in the closet that we don't even really know nothing about but you're battling something nonetheless being at there battling out loud help them don't laugh because it's not funny it's not it's not something that they want to do it's not somewhere they want to be stuck in they don't know how to stop they don't have that support once people just start turning their backs on them and and rolling them out as lost causes and then when they die you're you can't get that time back, you know, and, and it and it sucks because these people also can't come back and all this support that they get after they've passed away, they can't use that where they at now. They can't use that as a way to, whoop, well, this is my support system. So I know I could beat this with this person behind me, be that support system while they are here. Because it's taking everybody away. It's taking everybody away. And a lot of people are sitting back. And they regret their decision not to be in their loved one's life because of how they were living. Because they realize how much they still love and care about that person. Be there for them. If your family member is here right now and they got some type of drug addiction, be there for them. I don't know how much I can say it because... I promise you when they die, the guilt that you feel for your lack thereof as of whatever you were supposed to be in their life is going to hit hard. And and, it, and it's gonna hurt when you can make a difference right now by just, I don't care if you just call them up and say, I love you and be careful. That's what I would say to them. Hmm.
0: And so I know that right now you are currently going through the treatment court process, right? Mm-hmm. So what is that process kind of like, you know, for you? you? You know, how's it doing and all that? and?
2: <laughs> oh, my treatment court is definitely, um, is very rigorous. It's very tedious. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a program that really helps. It really, it holds you accountable. It gives you more support. Um, just from your peers that are in a group um, that gives you more people to relate to. And then the people who are on the treatment court team, they just kind of really care about you in general. Um, so I was recently in phase one and with phase one, I would have to um, say I had two colors and randomly all throughout the week, whenever they call these colors, I'll have to go in and do a yearn. Um, we go to court with the judge every other Thursday And there we write, like, these essays for each phase. um, There is four essays. And these four essays are based upon the 12 steps of NA and AA. Um, And when you go to court, the judge kind of just asks you about whatever, you know, a few things that you wrote in your essay. Um, We go to a group every other Wednesday where we check in. A check-in is kind of like you just let out whatever you're going through. Like, you know, check in, whoop, today this happened, or this past week I've been struggling with this, or, you know, it just puts you in that position to be around people who um, understand what it's like just to be able to figure out how to be a law-abiding person again, mm. you know? Um, and then they they do, you go through, like, um, IOP, which is um, intensive outpatient therapy, and then you'll step down to, like, OP. So they just kind of... They put you in a position to have to take the necessary steps to continue dealing with your mental health as far as, like, the therapy and keeping you in contact with people that will support you and that know what you're going through. And if you don't do it, they hold you accountable for it. It's not like they just throw you in jail. They're really there to help. They do whatever they feel is necessary that'll help you, whether you get an extra color for you to go in and test more or... um Like, uh, whether, like, if you're just running out and dealing with the wrong people and they'd be like, okay, well, you need to sit in the house for a few days and, you know, like, you're doing stuff, you don't have no business, you know. They just do whatever they can to help you succeed in in recovery, you know. It's just a continued way of getting more tools and fundamentals and essentials to be able to to live your life in a good way. that's the most important thing with recovery is being able to remain teachable. Because once you feel like, oh, whoop, I got this all figured out, then life happens. And you realize you don't. So it just it's just people there. That's extra support and extra help. And you can go to them and talk to them. I think, it's, I think a part of me kind of feels like there's been a couple of days that treatment court has kind of saved my life. Because there might have been a day that I just had a bad day. Like, oh, I'm about to go and do something stupid and then I'd be thinking like, but if they call my color and I don't want to go to jail, I don't want to have to explain to these people why I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I let this happen. So in this program, I've met people that I could call and be like, look, I'm going through this today and we help each other get through it. Mm -hmm. Whether I met them through them actually being in treatment court or whether I've met them at like IOP. Because we go to therapy together. So it's pretty nice. It's
1: a nice mm. program.
2: Mm.
1: As we wrap up this episode, we definitely appreciate you coming on to the podcast and talking openly and candidly about not only your struggle, but just the struggle of an addict in general. And we commend you for being on your journey and we wish you all the best as you continue to make progress. Um, Like we all know that addiction and recovery is not just a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. So we wish you all the best as you continue along your journey.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah, I mean, before we wrap things up here, anything else you'd like to to say any message to anyone you know who's who's struggling with something or any families
2: Um, I would just like to um just give my sincerest condolences to the the families who are experiencing what's gonna be the grieving and mourning process of a family member from addiction and I'm sorry, you know. Um, if you have people that you care about, like I said, that are, are using and are struggling with addiction, just try to do whatever you can to understand them a little bit better. Um, I would tell the people that are in recovery, keep doing what you're doing and keep coming back. Cause it definitely works. We do recover and, you know, recovery is, it's not a destination. It's definitely a journey. You know, so time takes time. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And as long as you believe in yourself, you can do anything. You don't have to go back to doing the same thing. And if you are in recovery right now, whatever you might be struggling with, I'm not hard to find on Facebook. Anybody could reach out to me because I'm definitely a firm believer that strength comes in numbers. That support system is huge. And don't, just don't go back out because one thing that we do know is every time you go out, it gets worse because one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So that's all I have to say. Thank you guys for having me. Mm -hmm.
0: Of course. I enjoyed this. (laughs) pretty neat (laughs) yeah no and i i enjoyed our conversation too and i just really appreciate you coming on and talking about all this and um i love hearing the stories about your kids and everything Um, they're my babies yeah (laughs) so i hope you guys have a great christmas and again you know if there is anyone listening to this who is struggling with addiction there are plenty of resources in the county to go and get help so don't hesitate plenty of people out there who want to help That'll do it this week on the New Generation Podcasts. Again, this was part two of our opioid epidemic series. Next week will be part three that's going to focus mainly on uh, recovery. So look forward to that episode uh, next Saturday. Um, And again, you can find us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Harold's website, and of course, be sure to check out the New Generation Sports Report as well every Thursday. So again, that'll do it. Thank you, Brittany, and thank thank you. you all for listening.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you.